Welcome to the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Calvin Allen. Calvin is a Microsoft MVP, software engineer at New Relic, on Team Codestream, and host of .NET Bytes. Welcome, Calvin. Hey, thanks, guys. Glad to be here. Before we get just started uh, into the meat of things, would you give our listeners a little more introduction to yourself? Uh, perhaps talk about how you got started in the industry? Okay, well, uh, I've been in the industry now for about 16 years professionally and really got my start in high school um, with a programming class, C++. Uh, they don't offer that anymore. <laughs> so I got in while the beginning was good, I guess. But uh, he ended up taking programming one, two, and three in high school and kind of just started the ball rolling, right? And uh, from there, it just kind of opened up my eyes to what was possible. Started asking more questions about what was possible. Started buying books. Uh, you know, my first book was uh, Teach Yourself HTML4 in 24 Hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember it very vividly. Um, yeah, and been doing that ever since. It's very cool. Uh, so what are you working on these days? So I just started at New Relic probably about a month ago, uh, and I am on uh, the, well, Team Codestream is kind of how it's phrased. Um, And that's a fairly new, uh, call it division or product within New Relic. It was actually a startup that was New Relic bought last year. Uh, And the gist of it is that uh, we have extensions for Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, and JetBrains, various IDEs, since they're all kind of IntelliJ-based. Um, and a lot of different features kind of rolled up in that, but uh, all about you know developer collaboration, mostly. Um, various integrations, right? GitLab, GitHub, um, Slack, um, Jira, Trello, et cetera, et cetera. Right? So. <laughs> sure. Uh, and before we kind of like get into CodeStream more specifically, but, uh, what, what are, I've not done a Visual Studio integration or a extension like that. It, what, what's the tech stack? What do you, what, what do you kind of have to use to, to build that? Well, for a traditional Visual Studio extension, it is C sharp .NET framework. Um, but with our variety of different extensions, uh, it's actually quite the stack. and. So JetBrains is, I believe, Kotlin. I say I'm still not even completely caught up on all the other sides of the puzzle here, but uh, VS Code is is you know, TypeScript, JavaScript. Um, interesting thing about the way this is architected and deployed is that we actually have kind of our own language server uh, that gets run in the background. That's actually a node process. It's spawned off. Uh, there's a React app. So our extensions to reuse kind of as much code as possible launch a React app inside of the IDE. And that's how we get kind of the the UI elements of things. There's still a lot of deep tendrils into the various IDEs, of course, but uh, that's how we share the UI portion. That's cool. And we're all 
pretty well uh, historical .NET developers and Visual Studio users and Visual Studio code. Uh, I've spent my fair share of time in IntelliJ and and Rider and WebStorm and things like that. But you had mentioned, you know, building extensions for for Visual Studio and, and VS extensibility. Like, what what is involved in in and around that? What was what is the ecosystem? Is that more open these days? It, is it easy to get started with making extensions for something like Visual Studio or VS Code? Uh. VS Code, yes. Um, Visual Studio is quite a bit more difficult, unfortunately. Um, you know, there's these obscure interfaces all over the place. Uh, you know, the MEF framework is involved uh, to get these things loaded. Um, it's it is still your your you know your typical C sharp kind of kind of code, but uh, there are a lot of hooks um, in there to do various things. Some that are quite frankly and unfortunately not documented. Um, and some of the stuff that I've been working on here recently that, that we might get into is, uh, you know, I've, I've basically had to become very adept at searching GitHub for other projects that have tried to do similar things. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into it then. What, what are you searching GitHub and what are you looking for, uh, when, when you are, uh, going, going spelunking like that? Yeah. Well, the most recent thing, uh, kind of back up just a little bit and tell you kind of what I'm working on is we've been really um, kind of since new relic bought um, code stream. And since I've started, of course, really trying to integrate new relics observability platforms within code stream. Right. And so the path we've been going down recently and the one that I've had to really dig into some GitHub repos is uh, we're trying to get some of that data back out of new relic one observability. And for instance, let's say you have, you know, you've instrumented your application uh, with the New Relic agents and, and, and we'll talk about .NET. Of course, we have, there's agents for all kinds of languages, right? But we can actually get, you know, statistics about methods and how long they're taking to run and how many errors there have been, right? And so what we're trying to do is get that data back out of New Relic and actually show that as a code lens within Visual Studio. So uh, if you have code lens turned on, right, and that, you know, I, I've always been kind of guilty of turning it off kind of the first <laughs> first new install. But if you have that turned on, we're actually ex we're extending that uh, so that you get what we're calling code level metrics. And so uh, if you're familiar with the code lenses at all, normally, you know, by default, you've always got the one that tells you how many references that like a method has or something like that. Right. The idea here is that next to that. You know, uh, you'll be able to to see kind of the average duration of that method from your actual production system right in a code lens. You'll get the, you know, current number of uh, failures uh, within the last 30 minutes or something. Right. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to tie that into kind of the, the the web view, of course. So you can kind of click on that and drill into some graphs that are in New Relic 1 and things like that. So that's all cool. Uh, <laughs> But figuring out code lens has been a little interesting. Um, and so that's where I've really had to had to dig into GitHub quite a bit and try to find some extensions that have done this. Now, Microsoft has published a kind of a generic uh, you know, example uh, code lens provider on GitHub under the Visual Studio extensibility repo, but it only goes so far. 
and it will get you uh, potentially running. <laughs> um, but what I learned quickly thereafter is uh, some gotchas, right? And so when you really start digging into it, the things that it does make sense, right? The code lens provider, if you try to add it to your extension, it, it runs out of process, right? Because obviously you don't want to, you know, tie up the UI thread trying to render these things all the time. Well, that is slightly different than a lot of extensions that I've worked with personally. And I think a lot of them kind of default in the marketplace is that just lost the ability to communicate with that code lens provider um, since it's running out of process. So I did find a couple, uh, and I'm going to write some blog posts on this too, a little, little uh, zing there. Um, I did find some projects on GitHub that one of them specifically uh, managed to figure out via looking at the Rosalind source code. I mean, that, this is how documented it is, right? <laughs> uh, that you can get communication from the code lens provider back to your main extension that's running in process. There are some obscure interfaces and services that you have to build to be able to do that. and while those interfaces themselves are kind of, you know, documented as code on, on the doc site, there's really nothing that tells you how to do any of this. So, uh, this developer, and maybe we can put this in the show notes or something too, right. Um, was able to figure out like how to tie that together. So I took all that, right. <laughs> and managed to, to get the, the code lens provider calling back into the, the, uh, main extension that was in process, but that's only one way communication. And what I found very quickly was that, well, what if something changes that the main extension has been monitoring or watching? How do I tell the code lenses to refresh? Well, I can't without two-way communication, <laughs> right? Uh, so to push that message down to the actual code lens provider. So I uh, found another project that had uh, very similar kind of uh, requirements, and I ended up modifying that a little bit, but ended up getting it to work. And uh, the, you know, Kind of the uh, the teaser here is that it's RPC, um, and which is something that prior to starting on CodeStream, I really had not done any anywhere. <laughs> so uh, that was very fun to try to set that up. So what I actually did uh, is the out of the box default one way communication from the code lens provider back to the main extension in process tells it to start up a pipe so that it can create these other set of connections for two-way <laughs> communication. So it sounds like a hack, but it's actually working pretty well. Um, and that's been the only way I've been able to figure that out. But I do have it now so that I can uh, call back. You know, we have a lot of services that are built into the main extension, right? And they do a lot of stuff, uh, including communicating to our out-of-process language server, um, which was kind of already done using, there's some, other built-in ways to do that. Uh, so I was able to, you know, basically allow the code lens provider to call back to the main extension, use some pass-through methods to get to our LSP to get the metric data from New Relic. So <laughs> long story short, yeah, but that's, uh, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting um, endeavor and uh, it's really got me wanting to, you know, create some more blog posts on this. Um, I don't know that everybody out there obviously is going to be doing this, but at some point somebody probably will. And 
uh, it's it's incredibly difficult to get stood up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, and, and future you is probably going to have some questions at some point. Yeah, exactly. So I did one blog post already kind of, you know, detailing out kind of how to get that basic provider started. But yeah, I think it's going to be like two or three parts to, to get through all the other stuff, all the RPC. <laughs> So why why is that important? Why why is it useful to have those types of metrics in the in the IDE as we're working on a particular class or a particular method? Well, you know, I I, I think a lot of the uh, a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, if you follow, I think we're all familiar with the Boy Scout rule and things like that, right? And so that's kind of how I tie it together because. Let's say I'm working on a potential defect, right? And I'm going through the source code and eventually track down the method in which it's occurring. But then I'm also able to see at a glance that, hey, this method has had, obviously, the error count's probably high, but maybe it's also really slow. Um, So while I'm kind of going through that, fixing that defect, I can take that kind of knowledge into account and maybe try to solve that at the same time. You can turn that off, right? Because sometimes I don't know that I want to know what's slow. <laughs> yeah, so it's probably all. You know, actually, it's it's kind of cool. So, um, or, or you, maybe you, just maybe just hide it when it's my name next to it. Or, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the things we did that's that's kind of interesting uh, is that there is a couple settings to control um, the various pieces of information that get put into the code lens. Um. So behind the scenes, this is kind of like doing some GraphQL queries up to New Relic One uh, using their their Nurkle language, uh, which I, I I really love saying. Um, <laughs> I'm not 100% familiar with it yet, but I love saying it. And so there's basically right now a format string. Um, and the format string includes the various pieces of data that we support. And so if you don't want to see one piece of that data, you could take it out of that string. And of course, all the GraphQL queries will be updated accordingly uh, when it runs so that we're not querying for data we don't care about. So yes, you can. <laughs> so you you are working on this. Is it is it finished? Uh, how, like, what's the release um, cycle like, you know, when you're work, working on something like uh, uh, an extension here? Well, we have, we, I mean, we do releases when we need to. Um, there's really, we don't have a set time frame, but obviously wrapped around bigger features. Um, we're getting ready to do a release with some very updated UI around pull requests and managing those with inside of the extension. So I've still got some work to do uh, on the code lens provider. Um, this is something that even the internal uh, New Relic teams, the agents, you know, that the build the agents are kind of working alongside us with this. So um, neither side is quite finished yet. Um, so kind of kind of in lockstep. So as they as they get everything instrumented and working, then they're going to we'll get a test app where we can actually submit some data. And then, uh, yeah, we'll that I'm fairly close. With with my with my piece of the puzzle right now, so that's cool. And then, how do you balance like like this is seems like a pretty specific thing to Visual Studio, but how do you balance like that feature set uh, in the other extensions? So one of the things that was kind of done 
right around the time I started with New Relic, and uh, I think it's kind of out there now, is we already did this for Python and Ruby uh, in VS Code. And .NET was the next big one uh, as far as New Relic is concerned. So that's why we're, we're digging into that one. And I say .NET, I mean, honestly, it's going to be C-sharp at first, but that's the bulk of what we're seeing at New Relic, obviously. Um, so, and the idea is that we will support C-sharp uh, through Rider uh, as the JetBrains version and VS Code. Um, each one's a little different, right? Um, so <laughs> while I'm going on and on about code lens and how to do it in Visual Studio, it's an entirely different process. And um, matter of fact, VS Code is easier. And and that's one of the key things of why I think that one was prioritized first for Ruby and Python. But um, as far as .NET development goes for, for uh, New Relic, JetBrains is obviously the next big .NET IDE that people use. Um, so we're kind of prioritizing at that using some, some, you know, some metric data that getting from some, some of the other New Relic departments. But yes, each one is entirely different. Uh, you know, for instance, VS Code can say, hey, I've got this. I opened a file. And you can say, okay, well, give me the symbols out of this file, and then we'll go query New Relic for, for any metrics on that class name, namespace function, right? Um, and then you can say, here's the data to render the, the code lens. Visual Studio, it's flipped. Visual Studio actually tells us that, hey, I'm getting ready to render a code lens for this namespace method, class, and function. Uh, do you have anything you want to put in your provider? And so we've had to really kind of flip how we were thinking about uh, some of those. So um, like I said, we try to bundle all that code into the into our LSP, which we just kind of refer to as the agent. Um, so each individual IDE just calls to the agent and says, give me, give me metrics for this thing. Right. Uh, and then it's responsible for formulating these queries. But so that we're having to make some changes in the agent to support what visual studio needs, but yeah, everything, everything kind of shares through that agent as much as possible. Yeah. I guess new relic is in a unique position that, the, as a company, as a whole, they're collecting all kinds of metrics and, and uh, information about developers, ab about applications, about performance, that they can, I guess, choose their own destiny and choose their own path and, and really know where their proposed tools or features could be most beneficial and, and market them as such. So what are what are the unique circumstances in making those decisions and in planning those extensions and extensibility into the, the various uh, IDEs and, and or what, what is VS Code considered not an IDE, but the editor. Like Notepad++. Yeah, so like, you know, and, and, and how, do, how does one get interested or get involved in making extensions for any number of editors and or IDEs. Well, I can start with that one uh, just because that's, that's how all this kind of came to be for me. Really. Uh, I, I got interested in it because I saw Mads Christensen doing stuff on GitHub. Um, and, you know, it, there was, there was a time where he was, 
I mean, he would push a new extension like every week, right? Like he's, he's got a, a ton of them in the marketplace, but those were always for visual studio. And of course, visual studio was always my preferred IDE. Um, and so I started kind of spelunking in what he was doing out there because they were open source GitHub. Um, and it's really, I, I, I don't know how I can really explain. It was just a calling. It was like, I, I want to do something in this realm uh, because I just found it interesting. It was C sharp and .NET, but a little different. Uh, you know, can't take your MVC patterns or your, any of that stuff. It doesn't really apply um, in the same ways. So I started spelunking a lot of these repos that he was putting out there and uh, managed to come up with a, an extension based on some of his um, that, uh, you know, maybe he hadn't gotten to yet. And I took it out from under him. I'm not really sure. Uh, so Mads, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Um, but he was doing all these, these extensions where you right click on a file in the solution explorer and you can open it in your favorite text editor, right? You might've seen some of these. Um, and at the time I was also still heavily invested in notepad plus plus. And he didn't have that one. I was like, well, I want that one. <laughs> that's what I use. Right. And, and that's kind of where it came from. It was, uh, you know, definitely I was doing it to solve my problem. Um, now that thing has like 30,000 downloads or something, this open in notepad plus plus extension, which, you know, all it really does is shells out to open and is open or all it really does is shells out to notepad plus plus. But some of the interesting things that go into building the extension are just getting it wired up to start with getting it uh, to modify the context menus to add new action. Right. Um, and all that kind of stuff. So that was, it was just interesting to me. And, and that's been out there now for, I think I did that one three or four, five years ago, maybe. I don't even remember. Um, I've kept it kind of plugging along with various Visual Studio versions. Um, I just went through late last year the upgrade for Visual Studio 2022, which, uh, you know, was a, a major breaking change for extension developers. Um, so that all kind of happened. Uh, and then uh, I, you know, actually, the. Um, Because of that, right, I ended up getting an email from the engineering manager on the CodeStream team at New Relic uh, because he found me through those extensions and basically just wanting to talk. And I, you know, I think they had, uh, they obviously had an opening for, for, for C Sharp developer, primarily for the Visual Studio extension, because that one is harder than the other two. Um, so it's, it's a very niche kind of activity, I think. Um, there's a lot of extensions out there, but there's really not a community. There's a small community, but it's not, you know, not quite the same. It's, it's not as sexy as web development. It's really not. Yeah. So <laughs> now, now did they, did, did they call you first or did they call Mads first? Or like, do you get, do you get that one up on him too? And say, I don't know. You know. They called me. They didn't call you. Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, I started talking to started talking to the engineering manager and he's like, hey, we have this position. I found you. Would you would you apply? And, you know, I had obviously known of New Relic um, before that, but not not of CodeStream. Um, and then come to find out, of course, now they're one. And uh, 
yeah, went through with it and wasn't even looking for a job. Right. And uh, that kind of dovetails, if I may, real quickly, like I talked to a lot of uh, folks going through boot camps, specifically 100 devs. And if you've seen this on Twitter, um, and I do a lot of coffee chats, I've probably done 50 or 60 coffee chats over the last couple of months with folks that are trying to transition into tech. And, uh, you know, I, I always talk about communication as one of my big things to watch out for. Right. But I also like to talk about networking and now also like, Hey, open source. It's good. You know, um, it, it has its downsides. Obviously I'm not running giant projects, right. That, uh, that everybody's, re- uh, relying on. Um, but you know, it is, it is a worthwhile investment in my opinion. So anyway, and particularly if it's something that you enjoy, that, that something you have a passion about and, and you're, you're able to, to have the fun and get known and recognized and land a job that you apparently are uh, very enthusiastic about. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So can we talk a little bit more about Visual Studio 2022 <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, the, the breaking changes there? What, what, what was that? What was that like? What was that story? Well, I think, uh, so Visual Studio 2022, uh, migrated to 64 bit. So that was kind of the big change, but that had a downstream effect of, um, I wouldn't say it broke all the extension, uh, <laughs> but it, it caused some issues. And so the way to handle it now is if you have an extension that targets, let's just go with 2019, uh, as the last big one. But most folks target even more farther back. Um, matter of fact, open in Notepad++, the one that I have, still targets 2015 um, because it doesn't cost me anything to do that. If it, if it did, I would take it out, honestly. But um, So you had to essentially restructure your entire project. Um, and it also split your extension. So the Visual Studio Marketplace, where all these things are downloaded and managed, cannot support one listing with two actual extensions in it. So you have to have one now that targets x86 and one that targets x64. Uh, and you cannot have one listing for both. So now you've got two listings in the marketplace as well. But you ended up having to go to this nomenclature of a shared project. And this was kind of the first time I had ever really did, done any shared projects. and. I say shared in the sense that it is a project type, not just another assembly that we called shared, right? Um, it, it, so it's a little different. And a lot of your um, primary extension code needs to go in the shared project. And then you need two targets that one for x64 and one for uh, x86 that actually has the all the manifest knowledge of the fact that it's an extension with inside of it. So two projects that you end up deploying, basically. Um, and the way these shared projects works is because it kind of threw me for a loop the first time I used one is it actually references the other way. So instead of your project, which has the visit file and the manifest and all this stuff, referencing your shared project, your shared project references that one in a way. I don't know if references is the right word here, but um, it kind of has a, the opposite viewpoint, right? And so you end up 
uh, going into this shared project and there's a way to say, well, I'm looking at this through the lens of that project right now. Um, and, and that really, <laughs> that was really mind bending the first time I looked at it because I just wasn't used to that at all. And I, and honestly, I don't know how long that's been a thing. Um, but it just came up with the, with the 2022 migration and extension development. So, uh, I ended up give you an idea of how I supported it in that really small extension is that there are two projects, one for x86, one for x64. They both have manifest files. Um, they each look like their own extension, right? Like they're two distinct extensions, but all the primary logic is in the shared project type. And it knows about each one of those projects. Well, I kept running into personally namespace issues because the namespace in one project would be this and the namespace in the other project would be something else. So you weren't looking at it through the right lens, compilation errors. And so I had to, I had to, I managed to solve that with, um, you know, uh, directives um, based on some, some symbols that were embedded. Right. So, you know, generally have like, uh, debug and trace, I think, right? And so I I added two more, x86 and x64, right? <laughs> and each project then has its own. And then uh, that one kind of flips the the using statements around. And that was all it was, was the using statements. Everything else kind of flowed in line because it was the same code, really, uh, just had different namespaces. And I feel like there's probably a better way to solve that. I, I But uh, for my small extension that worked, um, and I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna spend a hundred hours trying to figure out <laughs> a different route for that. And and using the shared project is Microsoft's guidelines, but uh, I I had I did struggle with that documentation and actually putting it to use. Have you run across any other gotchas like that in in the years that you've been doing this, especially since supporting earlier and earlier versions of Visual Studio, for instance? There's always oddities with the various package versions. Um, so Visual Studio 2015 has not caused me a problem because I don't really rely. Open in Notepad++, like I said, it spawns out to Notepad++. So there's not a lot of third-party packages that I need there. But where it gets difficult uh, is when you start relying on third-party packages that might also ship with Visual Studio. And, and you get into versioning conflicts. And so you're, you're back to trying to fix stuff with binding redirects and doing all that kind of stuff. But um, for instance, when, back, to this, back to the CodeStream project and the code lens, um, one of the things that I had a lot of problems with getting that uh, communication back and forth working was various versions of I think it's a package called stream JSON RPC. Um, and the reasoning I had problems with that is again, because I think that one is all shipped in visual studio. So I had to rely on very specific versions and that got me caught up in a situation where we still support 2017 for the primary extension um, for the code lens stuff. It's going to be 2019 and up. And that's primarily why is because of these package versions. I could not, I couldn't upgrade the main package version of stream JSON RPC because I needed to 
Airport Visual Studio 2017, which ships with a different version. And <clears throat> yeah, so those are <laughs> there's always these interesting gotchas uh, like that. And and unfortunately, you know, this kind of stuff is there is some documentation out there, but it's not it's not fantastic. Um, and it is, I think, slightly difficult to, to grok. So what else? What what else have we maybe missed or or glossed over or not spent enough time on? Or are there things that people need to be aware of, whether they be specific to extensions in Visual Studio or VS Code or or just extending any of our favorite IDEs and editors? Well, there are uh so for JetBrains and VS Code, there are Slack communities that you can get involved in if you need help. Um there is for Visual Studio, there is, I don't know if anybody remembers Gitter, um, the IM client for Git repos. Uh, there is a Visual Studio version of that floating around, but the, in my experience, it's been kind of dead. And I, you know, I, I think the complexity of Visual Studio uh, has not helped in that regard. But uh, the communities for VS Code and, and JetBrains are, are, uh, are highly active. Um, and so if you're looking to extend those, great resources to get involved with. And of course, you know, honestly, if I had to pick all over again, of course, VS Code didn't exist at the time I started doing this. But, you know, part of what I want to learn at, at, at New Relic and going forward is how to develop extensions for VS Code. Um, like I said, that's mostly TypeScript and JavaScript and stuff like that, but it's just not something I've done. So, uh, yeah, those, those are two big uh, Slack communities. And I think they're, they're I think they're public. So, you know, you should be able to find them and probably get you the links put in the show notes or something too. Um, but I would start honestly with VS code these days, if I were going to start over just because of the things, just easier to get started. Um, code stream specific, our 2022 version does not exist yet. Um, that will be coming soon. Uh, once this code lens stuff is, is finalized. I don't really want to, it's on it's on the back burner, and I've been doing some research into it. It's a lot, obviously, it's a much bigger extension than Add Plus Plus. So there's a lot more tendrils to worry about. We've we've already got projects separated out by Visual Studio version because of the language server. Got our agent that we're communicating with, and different versions of packages, things there that be taken into account. So hopefully, once this uh, all this code lens stuff is sorted out, then that's going to be kind of my next big thing is getting the 2022 version uh, going for that. So you've, uh, you've, you've talked a lot about um, uh, Visual Studio. You've mentioned uh, extensions and, and mentioned that there's not always a lot of documentation. What, what other resources or what resources would you point someone to uh, who is looking to get started in Visual Studio and then you mentioned those Slack groups for, uh, you know, the, the other things. Yeah. So like I said, there is that Gitter room um, for, for Visual Studio. I, there are some folks that, that are in there pretty frequently, I think. Um, so, I mean, that's one place to start. Um, the second is, unfortunately, GitHub. And, and I say, unfortunately, in, the, in, in that you have to find a project that does what you are trying to do or something similar to it. Um, I would also say if you're going to get started, uh, support 2022 and up. 
you know, if you're writing a brand new extension, I wouldn't even try to go backwards at this point. Um, just because it does increase the complexity quite a bit, trying to support both of those. Um, outside of that, you know, there's various blog posts from, uh, you know, different people. Of course, that's going to be a Google thing. There is a, there is a book, uh, Visual Studio Extensibility uh, Development from APRESS. Um, it's a couple years old. It does not go into the 2022 stuff, but it has some of the more, you know, maybe fundamental stuff about framework for extension. Um, you know, that's something I, I'd like to, you know, I was actually talking with my manager about this this morning. That's actually something I'd like to try and do something about, but I, I don't really know what to do about it yet. Um, heard, it, heard it here first. Yeah. 2022 visual studio book. Uh, sensibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, 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 um, I, I don't know if that's a, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's in the works or some kind of community though. Right. I mean, some way to get this information surfaced a little better. Um, a book is, is definitely possible. I mean, I, I won't, I won't lie. I've talked to an editor about it already, but um, I, I, I don't know if I have the, the book mantra in me uh, to go through that, you know, um, that is a big undertaking. So, mm -hmm. um, and it would be very, very interesting because I think, you know, I keep going back to it, but the, the architecture of CodeStream does lend itself well to some more advanced scenarios that even I wasn't familiar with at all before mm. starting this. I mean, having having a web view inside your 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 extension to to load a React app, like wow, that that makes a lot of sense if you're trying, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I'd like to find, and like I said, I'm going to do some more blog posts and things like that. But yeah, I, in the back of my mind, I'm trying to figure out a way to increase the visibility but if anybody has any ideas for you to reach out <laughs> so he's looking for a, a co-author is what i'm, I'm <laughs> yeah who's interested uh what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers i've really found uh you know i kind of touched on this a little bit with the 100 dev stuff but networking uh has has just been huge in my career quite honestly you know, uh, I've been doing this for six, what I say, 16 years, something like that. Um, you know, and there have really been, uh, two jobs out of that that have come via just traditional networking. Um, I'm this, the job I'm at now comes out of just open source and, and putting yourself out there. Right. You know, I'm, working on that open end notepad. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Nobody's going to use it. And that's 30,000 downloads. Um, and it made me visible in the marketplace for pot potential employer. <laughs> right. So I, I really find a lot of benefit in, in the network. Uh, so I tell a lot of people it's super hard. I think at first, you know, um, I always considered myself very introverted and really shied away from any type of networking and uh it's gotten better as i've gotten older you know uh, and things like that but uh if you can push through it i i think it's definitely worth learning and and you know, learning in in a community uh making yourself visible to the community i won't say twitter and, and and social media doesn't have its dark sides but there's there there are some good sides to it so uh speaking of twitter where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on 
Well, so my personal account is underscore Calvin Allen. Um, unfortunately, I was a little late to the game, so <laughs> had to had, had to take a variation, but that's okay. Uh, .NET Bytes also has a Twitter account. Um, I right now that's being used as kind of a there's a, a variety of .NET Visual Studio related blogs that we we automate posts out from. So kind of you know watching for news, go there, and that's .NET Bytes, all spelled out, D-O-T-N-E-T-B-Y-T-E-S. Got to play on the Bytes, right? Um, yeah, I think that's that's my Twitter stuff. <laughs> well, Calvin, thanks so much for joining us tonight. This has been absolutely wonderful. Um, looking forward to to adding CodeLens to my VS Code instance and looking forward to the 2022 release for Visual Studio. Yeah, thank you been great talking to you guys. That was Calvin Allen. Calvin is a Microsoft MVP, software engineer at New Relic, on Team Codestream, and host of .NET Bytes. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at sixfiguredev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Ah!